On this week's episode, could the A-Force be a reality? Just how good is the Adams family? And we settle the debate between Geico and farmers. All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. You were mute on most of that, so it was like... I know, that was embarrassing, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, welcoming you once again to our awesome podcast, but it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He's our own Knott's Berry farmer from Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and all the great things that he's doing with Topicocalypse and his awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Did you have fun today at Knott's? It's crowded, man. They had that Halloween thing going on. Not Haunt, but the one they do for the kids. So there's a lot of people in there. And like I was on the line for the log ride and parents don't do parenting anymore, man. There's just they just like let their kids run them up through the line and it's it's chaos, man. Absolute chaos. I love that log ride, man. Uh, of all the rides at Knott's, that's been I love water rides, period. But yeah. that is one of the best water rides that's out there i just i can't i cannot say enough good things about it i hope they never get rid of it i just tell you what it, it's an awesome time every time i go to knott's Berry farm and if you are on the west coast and you get a chance to check it out plus also stop by and have the fried chicken as well they, they have the at halloween they have it all decked out with halloween stuff and the ride's pretty cool oh sweet sweet I just remember as a kid, because I've been to Knott's Berry Farm many, many times over the years. In fact, I went, I think last year was the last time I went. And just such a great time. But even as a kid, I still remember going to the fried chicken cafe that they have there where they serve their world-famous fried chicken. And just, oh, it was just delicious then. And it's still, if you get a chance to go, it's delicious even today. So great things to have fun at at Knott's Berry Farm if you get a chance to go down there. Disneyland is not the only thing in Orange County to have fun at. So Knott's Berry Farm, they get some props from us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But it is going to be a great show we're going to have for you today. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things, including what happened this weekend in the box office. There's rumors that have been perpetuated by an interview recently in Variety by Brie Larson. So we'll talk about that and how it relates to a possible future for an entity for the Marvel Universe, something which actually got started in Avengers Endgame. So we'll talk about that here in a bit. Plus also as well, we have the results of our Geico versus Farmers debate. We tell you there's a definitive answer, and I'm going to surprise Josh what that answer is coming up later in the show as well. Plus we're also going to be talking about our number 41 to 50 on our top 200 video games of all time. We're going to be talking about another great 10 games coming up here later in the show as well. Plus, Jason Todd Feinberg from Honey Queen, he's stopping by to talk about Adam's family. He's going to give his thoughts on a review. And is it something that's creepy and it's kooky? Or is it altogether spooky? He's going to tell you the answer coming up later in the program. 
But my friend, it was another great weekend at the box office. Joker. And the thing with the Joker, man, I know there's something that you're not going to see right away. And I'm not going to try and convince you, man, because I know there's a lot of things going on and a lot of reasons why that you and some others may or may not go see the Joker at any point in time, whether in the theaters or beyond. But I will tell you, it's garnering a lot of interest from a lot of people out there, despite all the controversy and all the things that were said and done and all the, the warnings and things of that nature, because it did earn another $55 million at the box office, which, as you know, my friend, is a very good return because you're usually in the second weekend for a major box office hit. You're usually seeing like a 55, 60, somewhere in the, you know, somewhere between 55 and 65% for that second week as far as a drop-off is concerned. This movie actually in a second weekend dropped off less than 50%. So not only is it getting a great word of mouth, it's actually retaining a large audience, which is something that's very impressive, even with all the other movies that are coming up right behind it in the months of October and November. So it's a big hit already. It's almost $550 million, and there's an outside chance that it could actually become the biggest R-rated movie of all time. Yeah, that's cool. I've actually been talking to a few people who saw it, and you know, they kind of echoed similar sentiments to you as it's a good movie, but it's awkward in a way like it's it's something you experience and not really watch i've also talked to people who feel like the joker they shouldn't have made a joker film in that timeline because they they just feel like the joker you know he's a batman villain so it felt weird to them to have them call that movie the joker instead of just make it about you know a clown so I, i've heard i've heard different things about it but i'm glad to see that it's doing so well Phillips hasn't actually made a movie in a while, not since Hangover 3, so it's good to see him back on the scene. I will watch it eventually, but it's, I'm glad to see that it's gotten such great word of mouth. You know, if, if more movies can have that kind of momentum going for them, you know, the, the box office would be a, an entirely different monster today. Well, before we go ahead and talk about some of the rest of the box office numbers, because there are three other films I do want to talk about. I want to ask you, my friend, you spoke of Todd Phillips and the last movie he made was The Hangover 3, which even though it was the biggest comedy of that year it came out, it was actually very disappointing as far as the numbers are concerned, even though it earned over $100 million here domestically, and I believe the three to $400 million worldwide. So it turned a profit. It just didn't turn the kind of profit the first two hangovers made. But I want to ask you this, when it comes to Todd Phillips, in the media requirements and the press and things of that nature. He had an interview where he stated that he was no longer going to be involved with comedies simply because the society today had become too PC. It's a PC culture that he just doesn't want to be able to go ahead and make a comedy for, for this type of environment, because he thinks a lot of things that he would come up with that is funny would be very different and would be perceived as very different by an audience than what it was, let's say, even 10, 15 years ago when he made Old School, when he made the Hangover movies, especially one and two. He thinks there's a different audience now. And he doesn't think he agrees with everything that goes about it as far as the PC culture that we currently live in. He's not wrong. I Look at it. like you can Comedians can't even fart these days without having a bunch of people trying to climb up their backsides over Dave Chappelle's case in point with that. Like after his Netflix comedies, he, he was attacked by everybody for that, you know, or not everybody, but you know, you know, millennial journalists went after him 
there was a time when it was a comedian's job to be able to say things that other people couldn't. And I totally understand Scott Phillips sentiment. That's why I'm so curious how this Jay and Silent Bob reboot's going to do. Because Kevin Smith is one of those old school filmmakers who makes dirty comedies. He makes raunch comms. And that's what Todd Phillips has been so famous for over the years. So I'm really curious how that movie is going to do. And it really, it, it breaks my heart. It's a shame because Todd Phillips is great at making those kind of films. And it breaks my heart to know that he's not going to be able to do that because society has become this politically correct monster. And it just, I don't know. It just, I, I have some more thoughts on this, but I'm not going to go into them. So yeah, I just, I see where he's coming from though, for sure. Well, I'm not going to say Jay and Bob silent reboot. First of all, it's coming at a very awkward time. I wish this film, which when it comes to Jay and Bob, had come out in August or another period of time where there was less competition. And I know that movie is almost upon us. I just think coming out now with so many other different avenues, because later this week, we're going to see Maleficent. We're also going to be seeing Frozen in the not-too-distant future. We're going to be seeing other big budget films, maybe getting the lion's share of theater space. And it's not we're talking about a G movie or a PG movie compared to what Jay and Bob's doing. It's the amount of theaters that you can get. So if they're going to be going ahead and giving Maleficent 4,000 theaters. They're going to be going ahead and giving Frozen 4,000 theaters. Joker stays in over 3,000 theaters. That doesn't leave as much left over for a movie like Jay and Bob. I think the content in Jay and Bob's Silent Reboot won't be offensive to the point where people will go ahead and be all over the place. I think if Clerks 3, if that finally comes to fruition, like it looks like it's going to be in production here pretty soon. So at some point, Clerks 3 will be upon us. I think that will be a lot more controversial and will actually get a lot more people's dander up than Jay and Bob's Silent Reboot, personally, because I just think the type of film it is or the type of films they were, the first two, actually meet more to a demographic and a culture that was in the past as opposed to what is now. So when it comes to that, I think there's a really just like, again, like we've said before, many hot buttons when it comes to society and counterculture. But you know what? I'm, I'm, it's a shame if Todd Phillips won't ever delve into a comedy venture again. That's a shame because he's so talented. I mean, the Hangover movies, love them or hate them. They're still out there. They've done very well. I mean, they're three of the biggest comedies of all time. Even The Hangover 3, like I said, which disappointed to so many people, whether it's critically or maybe the studio thought it was going to do a larger number. Still, it's done better than most comedies that are out there. And that doesn't even mention what Hangover 1 and 2 did. Old school and, and a lot of the other stuff that he's done in the past. So it's a shame that we won't have his skills coming up for that. But at least we'll have his his directorial skills coming up for other future projects like the Jokers. And we can see that he's very talented and he's able to go ahead and put something out that's going to actually get a lot of people talking. And again, the Joker is doing extremely well at the box office. When you have a retention and only a drop of 43% in your second week, that is a big retention, a lot of great word of mouth, and that's something that a lot of box office hits love to have, especially in their second week. So... The future could be looking very strong for DC and the Joker as it hits more and more milestones. And again, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that this could be the biggest R-rated movie of all time. But when it comes to the other movies on the list that I wanted to talk about, at number two was The Addams Family. A pretty good showing right around what expectations were for the film. I think a lot of the 
beforehand advertising and aligning themselves with, with different sponsors help that movie to go ahead and make its money back as far as the expected amount it was going to go ahead and make at the box office. Gemini Man, unfortunately, that also met expectations, which unfortunately is very, very low, and it only garnered about $20 million here domestically. Still, the same issue is we're not able to go ahead and see it in its true form, as we discussed on our Friday show, The PCC Multiverse. So this does not look like a film that's going to go ahead and turn a profit, which is going to be another disappointing venture lately for Will Smith. But the movie I also want to talk to you about, my friend, I know you probably haven't heard this movie very much, is Parasite. It's a movie that came from overseas. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people are talking about this movie. In fact, so much so, it only appeared in three theaters this weekend, but it garnered almost $400,000. In fact, it is the largest per theater performance this year, beating Avengers Endgame, beating any other small film or anything else that's been out there for 2019. So really a lot of talk, did win awards previously at festivals around the world. So it's something I think a lot of people are going to be talking about for best of film. I'm going to go ahead and try and get a chance to see it here before the end of the year. But Parasite, I think everybody should keep that on their radar if they're able to go ahead and get a chance to see it as it gets into a wider release and check that out because I hear very good things about that film. So before we head to the break, I want to hear your thoughts. Is there something going on as far as Gemini Man for you? Is it something going on for the Ams family? Is there something you want to check out that's coming up before we get into all these other films that are coming up week after week after week? Because we're now getting into kind of a heavy time when it comes to the latter half of October, getting into November, and then obviously the movies that are coming in December as well. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I want to see. It just makes me sad, but I just I don't have the time to go to the movie theaters that I used to. But I do want to see It Chapter 2 still. Gemini Man's not something I'm going to run out to the theaters to see. I do, I'm intrigued by it. I would like to watch it eventually, but it's not something I'm really in a rush to. So right now, just It Chapter 2 and Adam's Family are the two movies that I would really like to go see. Joker's on my list. Gemini Man's on my list. Jay and Silent Bob's reboot is on my list. I don't know when that one comes out exactly. I know it's got a limited run we talked about, but I, I'm trying to think. Like, I know Star Wars comes out in December and Frozen 2, but is, are there any more, like, super heavy hitters? Because usually the past few years we had Fantastic Beasts and Justice League the next year, then Fantastic Beasts again the next year. But I don't know, besides Star Wars, if there's anything big really hitting theaters this well, you, holiday. Well, as we discussed before in December that loves to come out just before a Star Wars movie, and that is Jumanji 2. Oh, that's so right. That is going to go ahead and ride the wave of Star Wars. That was one of the few films that actually wanted to compete in the same general time frame as Star Wars, so that's something to look forward to. But you wanted to know about Jane Silent Bob reboot? Then you better get prepared, my friend, because it's coming out this week, my friend. It's going to be in a limited amount of theaters, but it is coming October 15th to theaters, so it's coming right around the oh, corner. Nice. And I think a lot of people are going to get excited over it. But, you know, how much, to what extent, what kind of coverage theater-wise is it going to get? Because, again, we're talking about a smaller film. Even though it's Kevin Smith, all of his films from the past have not been given as much love on a wide commercial basis. A lot of his films are well-known by, you know, a, a niche audience or a, an audience that's very appreciative of all the work that he's done. So it's going to be interesting to see where this falls 
when it comes out October 15th. So something definitely you and I will be looking forward to and hearing more thoughts on Jay and Bob's silent reboot. Because again, it is earmarked for an October 15th release. It's going to be the theaters. So if you get a chance to check it out, hopefully you will. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Hey guys, this is Venice. And I've got a message from a friend of mine about my favorite podcast. It's your boy, Flavor, Flav, and Full Effect. Check this out, everybody. I want y'all to go check out TJ. What's good, everybody? TJ Johnson here from Voice from the Underground. I am the most handsome. Big ass. And I'm smoking my cigar, of course. You know what I'm saying? The Dutch. You pick me up in an Uber and a PT Cruiser, I'm calling Lyft. Because <laughs> <laughs> they be fighting the power, talking about social issues, politics, you know what I'm saying? And we're not even that good. Right, we're terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Tangents all over the place. And not only that, but they be keeping the fun with the sports, music, comics, and movies too. Am I allowed to I talk? Think, I think, no, not right now. <laughs> Shut up, just... colonizer! <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You on Twitter at... VFU podcast. So you can find them. You can find them. So check one, two. This is Flavor Flav. Yeah, boy. Okay. What Flav was trying to say is check out Voice from the Underground on your favorite podcast network. Voice from the Underground. I want to hear your thoughts with your history and your past and what your feelings are in regards to why you're so interested in Jay and Bob's silent reboot. Okay. Well, if there are two things that got me into writing and, and doing film stuff, it is final fantasy seven got me into super into storytelling and the Kevin Smith movies really got me into like movies. Cause I, I would watch these, these big elaborate films and I'd sit there and wonder like, that would be so cool, but there's no way I'd ever be able to do that. Look how complicated some of this stuff is. And then lo and behold, somebody let me borrow Clerks one time, and it's literally just people standing in front of a camera talking, but he was able to capture so much emotion from all of his characters, and that's when I was like, okay, I would like to try this, you know? And so, like, I went to – this was in high school, mind you, and so – I went to college and I learned how to do screenplays, learned how to do work the camera, got my film certificate from OCC. I just, I haven't, you know, like most adults, I have not put a lot of this stuff into practice, but I, you know, I did a little warm up stuff with ghost toasters and things like that. And I just, Kevin Smith is simple as his stuff is. It's like, it inspired me to, to sit back and, and think, you know, that I could probably try something like that. So that's my history with that. I watched all the Kevin Smith movies. I, I love them all just because the he's a he's reminds me of Guy Ritchie with dialogue. You know, a lot of people don't like their films as a whole, but looking at the way that their characters interact with each other has always been super impressive to me. So that's kind of my history with Jay and Silent Bob. So I'm a fan. You know, I just like to see what he does. How is Jay and Silent Bob a product of the '90s going to evolve into modern audiences? You know, because Clerks Two came out right at the end of that era, you know, that we discussed earlier where you could make raunchy comedies. And now we're in this time when, even if you watch like the Red Band trailer, right, where Jay's got his pants down, like we're in this time when making that kind of stuff is dangerous. So I'm really curious what this movie's going to be, how these characters evolve and how people are going to perceive it. I don't blame you a bit, my friend, because there is going to be some type of interest in one way or another in our PC countercultural type environment that we have a lot of people that 
would in the past have been very accepting or even been entertained by a lot of the stuff as far as raunchy comedies or anything of that nature may not do so now or may not be as entertained by it now. So that's something we really have to take a look at. And that's, again, the reason why Todd Phillips is sort of straight away from comedies and won't be making comedies anytime soon. Fortunately, he still is making movies and the Joker is doing very well at the box office. But before we head to a break, my friend, I want to ask you this. In an interview with Variety, Brie Larson stated that she and all the other major female characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe have approached Kevin Feige about doing an all-female, essentially A-Force, because that's what A-Force is in the comic books, is all-female Avengers Force, which I, you know we saw a taste of in Avengers Endgame. There was that one scene, they have the gauntlet, and they're going to go ahead and take it, and they're going to go ahead and go get it to the van and so they can go back into the quantum realm and all that. Captain Marvel takes it from Spider-Man, and, and all the women line up to protect her and all that. So, so I ask you, my friend, you know, you've you've seen that. And I remember at the time in our one of our actually our most popular episodes, the Avengers Endgame spoiler cast, we all cited that it was there. I, I know it's a scene that quite simply similar to the Joss Whedon Avengers roundabout scene as well. That one was kind of forced too, but a lot of people enjoy that. I enjoyed that scene. I also enjoyed the scene, however forced or maybe inorganic that some may feel it is. I still think it was needed. I still think it was warranted because of the inspiration that it, it derives from and that also the inspiration that it gives to young women, ladies out there, and, and to, to the entire female audience of what it can do and, and how substantial a part female Marvel superheroes can play in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, on a possible A-Force movie coming in maybe what? Probably say Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Okay. Um I know this is always a touchy <laughs> subject with you. And I know we, again, we discussed this in our spoiler cast. And I said, okay, it was something that did not look organic. Okay, I give you that. Yes, it did but, not look organic. But again, it's just similar to what we saw with the Avengers spin around in the original Avengers. Okay, that wasn't exactly the most organic thing in the world either, but it served its purpose. This also serves its purpose. And I think it provides inspiration. Like for instance, to my girls. I've got 11 and 13 year old girls and they really were inspired by this and they saw it as an opportunity to, to be more excited about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which can never be a bad thing. I get that. I totally get that. To me, it just, it feels like they're not going to be able to do a movie like that unless they go the route of like Captain Marvel. It doesn't feel like it's going to be not without a political or a social agenda. You know, I'm I'm all for having a movie like that, but I don't think that they can do it without pushing an agenda on people. Like if they were able to do that and just make it a superhero flick, yeah, that'd be rad. But I feel like there's going to be too much going on there. And, you know, as for the scene in Avengers, yeah, I know we disagreed on on whether or not it was necessary. I'm glad that people are inspired by it. The idea of an A-Force movie, like Brie Larson is, she's very political, you know, and that's why she, if you look at the interviews that she has with like Chris Hemsworth and Jeremy Renner, like she gets super political in those interviews. And even like her co-stars look at her like, that's not what any of this is about. So if the movie can be made without an agenda, without a social agenda, without putting down people, like I, yeah, then go ahead and make it. But I don't think with something with Brie Larson involved and 
it's going to have something isolating in it. And I don't think that that's something that needs to happen because look, Black Widow has been kicking butt in these Avengers movies for years. Like I, I was okay having Captain Marvel in the Avengers. Like she's the deus ex machina, right? Like she's the literary device where somebody shows up to help our heroes out of impossible odds. And then the movie goes on. So that was a lot, but that was fine. But I would be okay with a movie like a force if it didn't, serve a social agenda, I guess. Does that make sense? I can understand that, as long as it doesn't veer too hard of a turd. But I think actually the best time for an A-Force would be right around now, where the Avengers are in disarray, where you don't have as many male superhero characters that are able to go ahead and be somewhere and need somewhere. Right now, the predominant amount of available Marvel Cinematic Universe characters, I believe, are female. Well, okay, see, and that's another thing. If it was one of those things where, like, oh, something's going down here, all that's all all that's there to save the day are these four or five female heroes, that would be fine with me. You know, but I just, I don't want it to create isolation as far as the fans go, because the great thing about superhero movies, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it brings people of all different races and genders and ideas together. And, like, I feel like it's going to be hard for them to make a movie like this without pushing one group out of that circle. I'm actually more excited about an A-Force than I would be a Young Adventures. To me, I think that's something that I'm not exactly as thrilled about, but I can see it coming. I can honestly see a Young Avengers coming because we see all the younger individuals that are going to become Avengers. They're planting the seeds already. Marvel is throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've already planted some seeds already for some Young Avengers. And they're going to do again over the course of time for a lot of these Disney Plus shows. For instance, Hawkeye. Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye is going to hand over the mantle to Kate Bishop. And Kate Bishop in the comics was, if I correct me if I'm wrong, she was a major part of the Young Avengers, correct? I think. Be that as it may, I mean, you're going to be seeing a, a buildup to a Young Avengers, I think, in Phase 5. Kate Bishop is a creation. Of, it's the latest iteration of Hawkeye as far as the comic yeah. book series. Yeah, well, I mean, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing things differently, and that's fine. You know, we, we all want to see the stories told a different way. And it's more of a an idea of, can we have heroes just be heroes? Like, why do they have to, to represent a social thing? You know, why can't a female hero just be a female hero? Like, that'd be cool. None of the male heroes in the Avengers universe ever represented masculinity or anything. You know, they... They were always, they inspired all kinds of people. So if, if they could do a female-centered film like that, then I'm, I'm all for it, man. Fair enough, indeed. I want to hear everyone's thoughts out there on a potential A-Force movie, if it comes about. Again, like I said, Brie Larson has indicated in an interview with Variety that there have been discussions, at least inquiries made by the female stars from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have essentially what would be a female Avengers or a force movie. Are you all for that? Or are you against that? Please. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. If you still haven't seen the Joker, we'd love to know why share us your thoughts on that. Popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, when we return, we're coming up next with Jason Todd Feinberg with a review of the Adams family. Also as well, later on in the program, it's number 41 to 50 in our top 200 video game countdown. And we're going to finally answer the question as based off of your votes, 
whose commercials are better, Geico or Farmers Insurance? That's all coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. You know that song... That's the intro for The Addams Family, which debuted this weekend at the box office. It brought a lot of nostalgia back to this iteration of The Addams Family. And here today to talk about his thoughts on The Addams Family is my good friend. If you haven't checked out his awesome show, Honey Queen, you can do so today. You can catch all the back episodes available on Podbean and so many other different podcast outlets. Plus also catch his awesome group on Facebook. It is my good friend. Mr. Jason Todd Feinberg. Jason, great to have you on the show, but the floor is now yours, my friend. I want to hear your thoughts on the Adams Family. Here's the thing. The Adams Family means something to me because growing up as a kid on WBIX, uh, Channel 11 New York, before it became WB and eventually the CW, there was Adams Family, the Munsters, the Stooges, Batman 66, but Adam's family always stuck with me for some reason. And then I found that Hanna-Barbera tried two attempts to make this an animated series. They had it in the 70s, and then they had it with them partnering up with the new Scooby-Doo movies. And then after the 90s movies came and went, Hanna-Barbera again tried to make this a Saturday morning cartoon on ABC. It only lasted for a year, and John Aston, who played Gomez back in the 60s, requires his role, and we recently uh, lost Rip Taylor. He voiced Fester. And Carol Chan and someone else we lost a few months ago played Granny. I don't remember who played Morticia or Wednesday or Pugsley. They don't, the actors don't sound familiar. The show sometimes appears on Boomerang, but when this movie originally came, I mean the 1991 with uh, Barry Sonnefeld, I remember seeing the teaser trailer, and it was people in a movie theater, and they were watching an 30s movie, and it was a romantic comedy. And this woman telling, you know, the gentleman, I don't want to be, with you, I want to be with you, blah blah blah. Nothing would make me leave this room. And then all of a sudden, she and the man turned to the audience, and they let her scream, and they said everybody in the theater is left, and then they run out, and then we. Like kind of do a 180 and find out like who's in the audience and it's the Adams family and it's that da 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 da. And then the marketing for this movie in the 90s was phenomenal. You could, especially when I lived in New York, you couldn't uh, drive past 
a billboard or go in Manhattan and see the advertisements on the buses or down in the New York City subway without seeing something advertised for the Adams Family logo or seeing a giant uh, disembodied hand, which is thing, walking across saying, coming soon. The movie and its sequel met my expectations. People meme. I think the Thanksgiving scene in Adams Family values more, especially since Thanksgiving is coming up because they love that whole Wednesday and Pugsley scene where they're at the summer camp and they're doing the, you know, the Thanksgiving pageant. But the first movie, it's not like it didn't have its controversy. The second one also had its controversy. This movie I'm a little bit surprised about because we talked about Joker a couple weeks ago. And I find it odd that people were outraged with Joker killing people and making fun of the mentally ill. We're going to get into the controversy with this movie as well because there is going to be an Adams Family movie catered just for you. Even that, you know, Tim Curry, Daniel Hara uh, directive video movie. But this one, I feel I'm glad it made its money. It didn't make a lot, but it did make something. You know, I, I think it, it'll make a profit in home video as well. And I'm glad it didn't bomb and made expectations. I'll tell you, seeing this movie in the theater yesterday made me happy because it was a bunch of kids with their parents. And, yeah, it, it really – well, we'll get to it when we get to it. So tell us more, Jason, about what goes on with this rendition of The Addams Family. I, I, I will say this much. There really was not any outrage. And is there a plot? The trailer kind of gives bits and pieces away. I, I'm going to give this a spoiler-free as humanly possible because it's still – you know, it's only been a couple of days. I'm just going to talk about, like, at least the first five minutes of it. Because it pretty much, you know, before the opening credits, uh, the cold opening pretty much deals with Gomez and Morticia, and we get an origin, that they're going to get married. And they're in, I guess, some sort of, you know, any old, old country. They could be in uh, Transylvania for all we know. They're about to get married, and the normals with the torches and the pitchforks run them out of town. They somehow get the family car that you know either from... 90s movie or the 60s sitcom and Thing is their chauffeur. Also Thing now has like a wristband that has a eye on it so that's how he kind of sees. He wears it now and then just, just like if I guess he has to drive them around. Anyway uh, they they drive to Jersey because they're looking for a new home and that's where its creator uh, Charles Adams was born. He was born in Westfield, New Jersey so if people are curious why it's in New Jersey it's a dedication to him get it dead and so as they're driving along with a new home they accidentally run into this thing and it turns out it's lurch and he has like a straitjacket from the criminally insane and apparently he came from this house up on a hill and it becomes a new home it's like he, he he's able to rip off the straitjacket he's ready to straggle them and they just hand them luggage and go like okay thank you old boy and that's it. So Lurch becomes their butler. That That's pretty much it. I mean, it, it, you know, and the home is just there. And if you ever seen the enemy of horror, you have the spirits go and get out. And the Adams just like, oh, well, it must be grumpy before he has his coffee. So they make coffee and they pour it into a toilet and the house is okay. And that's pretty much it. Um, 
I mean, Charles Adams said that he created this one-panel comic back in the 50s, mainly for uh, satirizing not only the 20th century family, but eccentric rich people, the aristocrats. So that was pretty much it. If you're a fan of the Adams family, you know they're into the macabre. Uh, they, they're all about being different in ways that Gomez, he, he, he's very eccentric and outgoing, although Raul Julia made him bipolar in a way. Uh, voice actor and character actor Oscar Isaacs, you know from uh, the new Star Wars trilogy, and he also had a cameo in Spider-Verse. He's Gomez. He's awesome. He's not doing a Raul Julia impersonation, which is great. Yeah, Charlize Theron. She's not doing an Angelica Houston impersonation, but Morticia still isn't fleshed out. So, uh, she's just a supporting wife and mother, which is fine. Fester is Fester. He who likes to bite on light bulbs and the light up. Granny is Granny. She's either, you know, sometimes she's a witch, sometimes she's just an eccentric old lady. And you have one scene, Pugsley the Kids, and Pugsley is just the short, overweight kid that likes to blow things up. And Wednesday is just a very dark person. And the reason why she's called Wednesday is that, I've done my research with this, there seems to be this old nursery room. It's kind of like Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, christened on a Tuesday, married on a Wednesday, and he died on a Sunday. And again, I go back to the 90s movie that just as Christina Ricci made Wednesday dark and disturbing, so does Chloe Grace Moretz, who uh, she's now the new Wednesday Adams. She's awesome. She's not doing a Christina Ricci impersonation. I do love the design on the characters because they are a nice little homage to the 1950s one-panel cartoon from The New Yorker. They now just have a 3D model effect to them. But they they seem to be based more on the original Charles Adams cartoon. I guess the reason why I didn't want to live action is again because I go back to the nineteen nineties movie. Very controversial for its time. You had Wednesday and Pugsley trying to kill each other. One of the most controversial scenes was Wednesday trying to get Pugsley into the electric chair, which you know, he she's able to get him into. She's going to electrify him. And if you know, Morticia ends up letting Wednesday throw the switch because they're both begging that they want this thing to work for some reason. The parents back then were outraged, and Pugsley is electrified off-screen because of a lot of parent complaints. They apparently... This was in the trailer, and this was test screen. They were not happy. Also, if you watch the original movie with the cold opening, there are Christmas carolers at the Adams estate, and the family is on top of the roof. Got to pour boiling hot lava onto the Christmas carolers. That outraged test screen audiences. And then the sequel, Wednesday and Pugsley want to kill the newborn baby. This one, they kind of toned down the Barry Sonnefeld violence. But the one thing I will give away is that Wednesday does knock Pugsley over the head with a shovel and try to bury him alive. And the way that she says she's going to do this, because she says that she loves him, her pupils dilate a little. She's definitely darker. This is probably the darkest. I, she's actually topped Christina Ricci. But that, not that Christina Ricci was horrible, but 
Grace Chloe Moretz has been around since I think the movie Kick Ass. I think she was on something before Kick Ass as well. I mean, she's been around for a while, but she's definitely it's a nice little past torch. Pugley has been fleshed out a little bit too, but his story is actually important to the A story. So I don't want to give away too much with Pugsley, but they finally have given this character a little more to do. He's always seemed to be like a punching bag in previous versions of the Adams family. He's always been like someone that Wednesday wants to electrify an electric chair or try to stab with an ax. Fester, however, unlike the 1990 version where he was the main part of both Adams family and Adams family values, Surprisingly, Fester's in the background most of this movie. We don't get to see what you know what Christopher Lloyd did. He's not really stealing scenes. And that's the other problem, too, is that this is an animated movie. So other than Grace Chloe Moretz, who was really doing a good job playing this dark and dour Wednesday Adams, who wants to explore what's outside the mansion, because up until... I guess her being eight or ten years old in this movie, she's been homeschooled because Gomez and Morticia will run out of a town and they're afraid to leave the mansion because they're afraid to be run out again. She does get to explore what's on the bottom of the hill of the Adams mansion. So what are your overall thoughts on the film? If you're a fan of the 1990 and 1993 Adams family and Adams family values, this is a nice little Halloween treat. It's 80 minutes, and I, you know, maybe 90, I guess, with, with the 10 minutes of previews, and then with the credits, and right before the credits, they'll, they'll do like a karaoke Adams Family theme music, and you'll get to snap your fingers along. But it's never boring, does not say you're welcome. It just depends if you are a fan of these characters. They do a great job. I'm not going to go with who's a better Gomez, because I'm not going to go like with, you know, with um, Adam West or Michael Keaton. Yeah, like, I, like I'm, I'm not going to say like who was a better Batman and who was a better Gomez Adams. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go like John Aston, Raul Julia, uh, or Tim Curry or Oscar Isaacs. I'm not, I'm not going to go there like who was a better. There's one, even Nathan Lane in the Broadway musical. Uh, the, the bottom line is this. There is a... Gomez and a Morticia and a Wednesday and a Pugsley and a Fester catered for you. For me, because I've watched all the Adams Family movies and I have seen the broad... I, I didn't see the original with Nathan Lane and Baby Newworth who played Gomez and Morticia 2000. I see the touring version. But movie-wise, I have to go with the first Adams movie, Values, this 2019 version and standing on the bottom um, family reunion, which was with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah. But this movie, the best way to describe it, it's a good rainy day, Saturday afternoon movie. That That's pretty much it. As always, my friend, I appreciate your analysis and your thoughts this time on The Adams Family. If you have any questions out there on The Adams Family, did you like it? Did you not like it? Please share it with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But my friend, it's just been great having you on here. It is once again Jason Todd Feinberg from Honey Queen 
You got to catch all the archive shows that are out there on Hunnikween. That's H-U-N-N-I-C-W-E-E-N. You can find that available today on Podbean and many other podcast outlets. My friend, it's just been great to have you on the show. Looking forward to when you pop on again later this month to talk about your list of the top 10 horror flicks to watch this Halloween. My friend, always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at, because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, you can check it out today, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you'll see a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. You've got a great thing going on with Congratulations You Suck and also Topicocalypse. So let us know, Mr. Media Man, what's going on with all the great things in your life as Josh Peterson. So pick up a copy of Congratulations You Suck today on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and a few other booksellers. It's almost sold out on Amazon. There's like eight copies left. So hurry up, grab a copy. I'm actually going to start working on another book here soon. So stay tuned for more info on that. Topic Topicocalypse is back. You can check that out now on our Podbean channel and iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Anchor.fm. So you can give that a listen. And that's all I really got right now. But again, it's Congratulations You Suck. You got to check it out today at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com. It's on the Nook, it's on the Kindle, or just go ahead to your local Barnes & Noble. I mean, if you have a bookstore still in town, because I know they're becoming passe and everybody wants to go ahead and buy them off the internet. But go ahead, you can just go to still, if you've got one, a Barnes & Noble story, just walk right in and ask for it today. Congratulations, you suck, by Josh Peterson. All right, my friend, we're counting down another great list of 10 in our top 200 video games of all time. We're getting closer to number one, my friend. So here is the list for numbers 41 to 50 on our top 200 video games of all time. It's going to start with number 50. And I'll tell you what, my friend, this is a good one. Oh, do I have memories of this one? But I'll talk about it a little bit later on. That's Doom at number 50. 49, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which I still think is the best Assassin's Creed game in the series. 48 is Secret of Mana. 47 is Contra, 46 is Bioshock, 45 is NFL Blitz, 44 is Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest, 43 is Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, 42 is World of Warcraft, 41 is Final Fantasy VI, although it's number three in the U.S. I don't understand that numbering. You're going to have to explain that to me, but all right. This is a stacked list of 41 to 50. I mean, there's a lot of really important games overall for the video game history books and all that. So I want to hear your thoughts on the games I just talked about from 41 to 50. Doom 1990. Okay, so this is weird. This makes me sound bad, but I didn't actually play. My first Doom game was on Nintendo 64, so I didn't actually play any of the older ones. So I don't really have a lot of experience there. 
Black Flag is is the quintessential Assassin's Creed game, at least in my book. Like that was the last one that I loved. You know, like I I kept going back to play Odyssey. You know, I played all the DLCs, but Assassin's Creed Four was like the first game that felt like a full experience to me that actually came out on a disc and you didn't have to buy anything else for it. It was the first game that I actually like felt satisfied. It's the first time in a video game that I got up and I actually researched who some of these characters are. You know, I learned more about Blackbeard, more about Bonnie, more about Jack Rackham, like all these famous pirates that they shoved into this world. I actually went online because I want to know more about them. You know, I, I watched all these History Channel specials. Like, this got me really fascinated in that world, you know, and it felt more like a historical epic than an Assassin's Creed game because there wasn't, besides trying to find what is some kind of artifact or something on an, on a couple islands, there wasn't real. it was more history than it was the Assassin's Creed lore, which was really cool to me because you played through the history, you built your ship, you could experience naval warfare, like you were living in that world and all the stuff that you, you heard in stories as a kid from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, all that stuff, you went to all these places and because of that, Assassin's Creed 4 will always be one of my favorite games ever made. Secret of Mana, so I don't know if you're familiar with this series, but it's it was one of those games where it, you know, in a time when JRPGs weren't really that popular, like Secret of Mana had a very small audience here in the US. And I know they just released the collection of Mana for Nintendo Switch, but this is one of those games where you know, you went through this fantasy world. There's a lot of bosses, a lot, a lot of dungeon crawling. It was a nice alternative to the Final Fantasy games, which were kind of dominating the market at the time. And then, you know, they had all this bad publicity because they're doing ports and stuff on the, the iOS and Androids and all that stuff. And people are unsatisfied with it. So now you can buy the collection on PS4 and Nintendo Switch and play them how they were meant to be played as the, the original Japanese version. So I was kind of always really a fan of that series. Contra was fun. Uh, that was a good arcade game. Anytime you go to a pizza place or you go to like a like an arcade bar, they always have Contra. Love that game. And that was actually on the at games thing. Uh, the what do they call that? The Legends Arcade. So you can play Contra One, Contra Two. I think there's a Contra Three. I'm not sure. Bioshock was an interesting game because it was one of the first games to truly blend well fantasy horror steampunk like it had so many different elements working for it and just the uh the story itself like this idea that there's a group of people who decided that they were tired of being bound by the scientific restrictions of society and they built a city underwater and you get to see how this society plunged into madness as you're trying to track down atlas ryan and try to i think you're trying to find someone's daughter if i remember right but I played this game from start to finish. Like I sat down on a Saturday morning, started at about nine o'clock and didn't finish it till four or five in the evening. Like I was that into this game. NFL Blitz, don't have a lot of experience there. Donkey Kong Country, again, you know, my first Nintendo system was the Wii. So I don't didn't really play a lot of that except when I was at the dentist because they had a Super Nintendo. Going back down here. Final Fantasy VI, so that was three in the U.S., so they skipped a couple titles. and then they You uh, think? Yeah, so, well, it's weird because Final Fantasy III finally released on the Game Boy Advance, they, and it was done in 3D, so it looked really weird because you have Final Fantasy I and II, which were these pixel games, and then you had three that had this, like, cool, vibrant 3D world to it, so it looked really out of place. 
And, you know, it's weird, too, because some of our Final Fantasy adventures are actually connected, I think, to the Mana series. I'm not 100% on that. I'll have to do a little research. But Final Fantasy VI is good. You know, it's a very, very dark game. And they have, I think this is the one that has the after years attached to it. It's just, it's a game that takes a very dramatic turn at a certain point in the game. And you can play it now on the Final Fantasy Anthology Collection on PlayStation 1. You can still buy that on eBay pretty cheap but it's it's a great game it's your typical final fantasy you have your party of five your major warrior stuff like that but it's the it, i remember it's so talked about because it has this turn right where you think that you saved the world and everything is like plummeted into darkness so you're you're playing this version of the world that it changes you know it feels like you're playing two different games so i don't want to give too much away about that but i definitely recommend people out there play it what about you, though? Anything that you're interested in here? Well, I have told you the stories before in the past about my past with Doom. I mean, I, I love that game to death. It's just been an awesome time. Every time I play into it and play the BFG and try and go ahead and wipe out all the demons in hell and all that, I did say, and I have said before, that when I was, you know, when I was working in Hollywood and I was working for a particular special effects company, we did take some time that was some downtime or things were rendering because that and back in those days in the 90s, there were times where you had to go ahead and let things render for hours upon end. And so you'd be sitting there twiddling your thumbs. You go ahead and put these fifteen dollars to $20,000 silicon workstations to use, my friend, by going ahead and linking up on a local death match and playing on Doom and having a great old time. It was interesting because, you know, it's it's a again, it was a freeware game at the time as it started off with. And to do that and play these this free game on such expensive and, uh, you know, just large workstations that were meant for something else, it was truly a lot of fun. It was a blast. Obviously, everything was it was really cool. Frame rate at that point in time for a game that could run at that point in time was just such an incredible experience and a lot of fun. Just great memories of Doom. And I've played it on so many other different formats after that. And, and of course, the revival of Doom by Bethesda that we saw in recent past, it was very good as well. Unfortunately, we won't be seeing Doom Eternal until 2020, but it was delayed. Somebody should tell GameStop because they still have it listed for this year. Oh, well, sorry, it's coming out next year, but still the legacy of Doom lives on because the game itself, the original version was just such a fantastic experience. I agree with you on Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Best experience in the Assassin's Creed series, hands down. It's not even a contest. It's just that's it. I know a lot of people say Assassin's Creed 2, but for me it's Assassin's Creed 4 because I think I just like the swashbuckling pirate aspect of it. I think a lot more than what Assassin's Creed 2 offered, although the style and play through of Assassin's Creed 2 was a very solid game. But for me, I think just a step above is Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Also as well, man, there's some good stuff on here. Castlevania, Sympathy of the Night. It's, a lot of people just truly love this game. It's, it is it is a really good game. It's, it's just something that a lot of people have remembered throughout the course of time. That's why it's so high up on the list. World of Warcraft. Do we need to say much about World of Warcraft? But it dominated the earlier part of this century for a reason. A lot of people just loved it so much. It has come back in a new form, you know, as far as a revised version of it. So a lot of people were taking interest into it. Once again, it's a different gaming landscape now. So I don't think it's going to find the same type of success where it dominated like it did 10, 15 years ago. But still, 
the history and where World of Warcraft sits as far as the the whole landscape of video games is, is never going to be denied because it's just a, such a crucial part of gaming history. And of course, Bioshock. You know, if anybody ever tells you that gaming is an art or gaming cannot have any type of narrative, have them play Bioshock because that game is truly a fantastic ride from minute one all the way, like you said, to the end. So Bioshock was truly a great experience. The rest of the Bioshock series, there's some ups and downs. Bioshock Infinite, I think, was also a great game in and of itself. Bioshock 2 was pretty good. I enjoyed that. But yes, Bioshock, the original, if you get a chance to play it, or even the remastered version, is something you should go out of your way to play. So there you go, my friend. That's our latest list of 10, numbers 41 to 50, in our top 200 video games of all time. If you want to check out our entire list, just head on over to popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You're going to see our entire top 200 in lists of 10 all right there for you. So you can check it out if you want to go ahead and find out exactly what's number one on the list. Otherwise, you can keep listening to our shows each and every time on the PCC Multiverse and the Pop Culture Cosmos as we break down another 10 every time right here on our show. But before we head on out, my friend, I got to go ahead and thank Jason Todd Feinberg for going ahead and giving us an outstanding review of the Adams Family. It's just been a great time indeed, but I got to ask you this. Are you sure you want to go ahead and find out the answer of the poll that we conducted on Geico versus Farmers Insurance and who has the better commercials? I'm pretty sure I'm right. Even if people voted against me, I'm still right about this. All right, my friend. Well, the winner of the contest and winner of the battle between who has the better insurance commercials was won. By Geico. I'm sorry, my friend. We even got an email from a good friend, Marcus De La Garza. He even said, sorry, Josh, the gecko has my vote all the way. Farmers commercials are lame. Uh -huh, uh -huh. The voting was still very much appreciated by us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thank you for everybody for taking the time to vote. And Josh, I'm sorry. Just no love for farmers at this well, point. Well, you know what? When a moose gets stuck in your swing set of your playground in your backyard, the farmers will have that covered. What will Geico do? They'll have a cute little Australian gecko on the side making comments. Yeah, and meanwhile, the children in the yard will chase it around and step on it. So, farmers got you covered. We are farmers. Dun, 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 dun. And there's also a caveman on the side right behind you. Just wanted to let you know. So easy a caveman can do it? Yes. So easy a caveman can do it. But again, I want to thank Jason Todd Feinberg for being on today's broadcast. We've got another great show lined up. I'm hoping to finally get Daphne Matthew on to talk about The Walking Dead because there's a lot of things I want to say when it comes to The Walking Dead. I also want to line up some other great guests as well because this Friday we've got a lot to talk about, including Maleficent. We're actually going to talk even more about Jay and Bob's silent reboot as well as that hits theaters. Maleficent. I've got some questions I want to ask you, Josh, on that one because I don't see as much in the way of advertising for it. And I think that might be a mistake by Disney. But we'll talk about that more on a Friday show, the PCC Multiverse, as we head on into another great week of pop culture. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening.
And here's hoping you have yourself a great.